Well, good morning. I'm Laura Stengel, for those of you that don't know me, uh, and I'm one of the members of the teaching team, as well as a couple of other hats that I may or may not wear here at COV. Uh, so this morning, Tim mentioned it, we're walking through our fifth week in our Dependence series, this series that is unpacking the different facets of what it looks like to depend on the Lord through prayer. And many of the members of the teaching team have already come up here and they've lent their voices and perspectives to this series that we've been walking through. We had Why Do We Pray, where Tim talked about our heart motivations, the importance of why we do what we do, why do we pray. And then Daniel talked about what is prayer, about the different attributes of prayer and why it's such an amazing gift to us. Then Mike talked about how we pray, where he walked through different models of prayer. And last week, Ruth walked through who we pray to, spoiler, it's God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and who we pray for. So today, as Tim mentioned, we're going to be walking through where. Where do we pray? And I, I have to give a couple of caveats with this topic. Like most of the topics that we've covered, it's very interconnected with all of the others. Where is super connected to when we pray. Sorry, Karen, for next week's sermon. When we pray, how we pray, why we pray, what is prayer? And I'm going to dive into that, but I wanted to give that caveat. I also wanted to give the caveat that I don't have a main passage. I've got scripture that I am pulling from, that we're going to be walking through, that is supporting and pointing to where do we pray. But more on that later. So where? Where is an interesting topic, specifically for me, because depending on what era in my life you would have asked me that question, hey, where do you pray? My answer would have been very different. What do I mean by that? Well, if you'd asked me 12 or 13 years ago, which for context was 2011, and I'm young, so don't laugh, I was about 16. And I think I have a photo of what I looked like when I was about 16. Ah, there I am. And I'm going to say thank you very much, Tim, for making me show you guys this awful photo. Bangs are never coming back. But my spiritual context for this point in my life was I was trying to uncouple the traditions of the church environment I'd grown up in versus the truth that I was now hearing and receiving at a new church that we had started to attend a few years prior. I was still, as Tim will often say, kicking the tires of Christianity. I was testing out faith, and I hadn't quite made it my own yet. So if you'd come up to me and you'd ask me, a girl that had grown up in the church, where do you pray? I would have probably said, well, at church, probably on my knees. And I don't know, maybe if I'm in dire straits, I might, you know, get down on my knees and try it out. So fast forward and you asked me seven years ago. So it's 2016. I was about 20, 21. I've got a photo of that era of my life. That hairstyle also is never coming back. So at that point in my church context and my faith context, it was quite different than a few years prior. I'd been following the Lord at this point for several years. I was going on quite a few missions trips and I was heavily involved in my then church's prayer ministry. I had become part of what my mother had affectionately entitled the Holy Roller Group. Why did she call it that? Well, there were quite a few people there that one would call spirit-led. And I was learning a lot from them, to be fair. 
And so then if you would ask me, where do you pray? I would have said, well, primarily I pray at this group, but I can pray everywhere and anywhere. But if I was truly being honest, which I may or may not have been, I would have added this caveat. We can pray everywhere when you feel like it. So now, fast forward, it's 2023. Um, I don't have a photo because I'm right here. Um, it's 2023, I've been here at COV for quite a few years, maybe not as long as some of you, but been here for a while. And I would say, if you ask me this question, where do we pray, I will still answer everywhere and anywhere. But it's a period, it's an end of sentence, there's no caveat. See, the thing about my relationship with prayer is it's changed as I've grown to know and love the Lord. It started from, I have to pray in a specific location, a specific heart posture, I can only pray in certain situations, to, ah, you kinda have to feel it before you pray. And now I can honestly say, I can pray any and everywhere. So that's my main point for today. Where do we pray? We pray anywhere and everywhere, at all times, in all situations, regardless of our context. Okay, sermon over, let's go get lunch, it's hot. No. Similar to Ruth, I have more to unpack with that. This is my main point. Anywhere and everywhere at all times in all situations, regardless of our context. And if you walk away with nothing else, this is my point and what we're going to unpack and walk through. But where do I get this? This isn't just something that I've pulled out of the ether, if you will. It's based on scripture. So I'm gonna give you the two main passages that I pulled this from and walk through them. So the first is Philippians 4, verses six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, emphasis mine, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds and Christ Jesus. So Paul writes this, and in the next uh, passage that we're going to read, Paul also writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is more the condensed version of what we just read. It's the tweetable version for those of us that still use Twitter. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, emphasis mine, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So based off these verses, God's will for us is that we have a joyful, thankful outlook, a continued and constant connection in prayer. It's the first thing that we run to. It's not that we pray every single millisecond that we have at our disposal. It means that we run to prayer regardless of what we are going through. My point is, this is an ongoing, prayer is an ongoing conversation throughout our entire lives. It never stops. And the result, shocker, is peace. Notice how in those verses there's absolutely no time spent on a location or a formula. Paul simply says in both passages, in all situations, in all circumstances, he's saying this is the benchmark, this is the thing to aim for, You're to aim at a joyful, thankful, and continued heart of prayer. And I think if most of us are honest, we'd say, yeah, okay, sure, that sounds great, but I don't think that's really doable, Laura. And see, I'd argue that it's one thing to acknowledge that we should pray, 
and all circumstances and situations, and it's another entirely to actually do it. Hence the title of today's sermon, Just Do It, See the Nike ad campaign. It's another entirely to actually pray with obedience, with the expectation of the peaceful will of God. So do we actually pray anywhere and everywhere at all times, in all situations, regardless of our context? If I'm honest, and I think if many of us are honest, the answer is oftentimes no. See, I'd rather spend the vast majority of my time doing something else besides running to the Lord in prayer. And if I'm super honest, I'd rather try to fix my situation first and then pray about it. But see, the thing about being quick to fix a situation rather than surrendering it to the Lord first, I'd contend, shows off a severe lack of trust and it shows off a massive misunderstanding of the gift of prayer that we have. So to illustrate this, uh, this is audience participation. How many of you guys have a smartphone or a phone of any kind? Pretty much everyone in the room. How many of you have contacts in your phone, saved into your phone? Don't memorize the phone numbers. How many people have contacts saved in your phone that you have not talked to in three months? For most of us, six months. Okay, a year, five years. 10 years, okay, you get the point. You have contacts in your phones that you haven't talked to in a really long time. Now, I don't know about you all, but a lot of my contacts that I no longer talk to is usually because one of us would text the other and the other one would not respond. They left you unread or you left them unread. What's my point with that? Not engaging with the Lord in prayer wherever you are at is like having his contacts saved on your phone, but you don't reply when he texts or calls. Kind of frustrating. But you see, that's the thing about prayer. Jesus is always willing to have the conversation. But do you reply? So are you quick to fix or are you quick to pray? Are you quick to run to the Lord in prayer? Or are you quick to run into a situation going, I got this? What's your attitude towards where you pray? See, having a heart to pray any and everywhere has to start with a heart for him. The why do we pray part. I'm a quick to fix it kind of a person. And what's crazy is, is Tim asked me to stand up here and talk to you guys about the importance of prayer and how running and fixing a situation is not the solution. But as I was thinking through this, as we were kind of prepping and I was talking to Tim and I'm writing things down, I was starting to think, why am I so quick to run to fixing things and not to prayer? And as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, I think it's because I misunderstand what it means that I can pray anywhere and everywhere, no matter what. And I think whether we say it or not, we all have hangups when it comes to prayer. So what's your hangup? I need my Instagram coffee photo with my Bible and journal before I can pray. I need my kids or my roommates or my spouse to just be quiet for five minutes before I can pray. And I'll wait till Sunday when I feel super spiritual before I pray because maybe something about Sunday will rub off on me. So what's your hang up? And so that's what I'm going to be unpacking today because in order to understand where do we pray, I need to contrast some of the hangups that we tend to have. So I've got a column, which is a where we pray is not versus the truth, which is where we pray 
is, and we're gonna unpack where we might be holding on to misinterpretations and performance-based actions versus a genuine, dependent, relational faith. So here we go. Where we pray is not a location. Rather, where we pray is based off the freedom that the Holy Spirit provides. Where we pray is not a performance, it's not a check in the box, it's not for show, versus where we pray is based off of a relationship that we have with Jesus because of his sacrifice on the cross. And where we pray is not a feeling, versus where we pray is based off of the discipline, the muscle exercise. So here we go, the first comparison. Where we pray is not a location, rather where we pray is a freedom gifted to us by the Holy Spirit. See, the misinterpretation that God can only be found or sought at in a specific location has its roots, it has a beginning, and you can oftentimes see this in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was incredibly important. The tabernacle was this place that was built to house the Ark of the Covenant. It housed the Holy of Holies where God's spirit dwelled, and it was incredibly important. But oftentimes, I think we misunderstand its importance, and I know that the Israelites definitely did. See, it's not the building that was important. It was important because God was there. But as humans do, the building, rather than the God of the building, and the observances of all the regulations and laws that one had to go through in order to access him became the point, rather than the God who authored all of them. This is what the writer of Hebrews addresses and many of the writers in the New Testament. And so I'm going to walk through in in Hebrews chapter 9, and the setup is The author of Hebrews is writing to a primarily Jewish audience where he is addressing this misplaced heart condition to elevate a building and a ritual rather than the God of it. So Hebrews 9, chapter chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, that is the holy of holies, once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers, the sacrifices that were made, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousnesses, if I can say that word, from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. His point is that we have access to the Father because of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is something that Luke talks about in Acts chapter 17. We've studied this. I've actually taught a sermon on this particular passage, but Luke writes this in Acts 17 in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He doesn't need our building. He doesn't need our sacrifices. Paul in Ephesians 2 also, I'll say, jumps on the bandwagon of talking about this. So in Ephesians 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 17, he writes, he came, he being Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far away, far away spiritually, 
and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God doesn't dwell in a man-made building in a position or a posture in any one location. When you receive him, he dwells in you and you in him because of Jesus' sacrifice and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I was studying uh, for this sermon, uh, I oftentimes like to pull from quotes and get other opinions to see if I'm headed in the right trajectory. And, and one of the places that I oftentimes like to go is a site called Got Questions, uh, which tend to have simplistic answers for complicated theology. So when I typed in prayer, this is what came up, and I really enjoy this quote. The authors said this, far too often prayer is viewed as a magic formula. Some believe that if we do not say exactly the right things or pray in the right position, God will not hear and answer our prayer. This is completely unbiblical. God does not answer our prayer based on when we pray, where we are, what position our body is in, or in what order we word our prayer. What matters is our heart condition. So a building and a location doesn't matter. The freedom that Jesus offers by the power of his Holy Spirit is what matters. And your response to that matters. See, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit means that we have the freedom and the access to come to the Father wherever we are. There's no time limit. There's no specific posture that you have to strike in order to be heard. There's not a benchmark for how holy you have to be before you come to him. See, in my life, especially early on in my Christian walk, I thought I had to clean myself up and be super moral before I could come to him. That I had to jump through all of these hoops and get in a good place, that's air quotes podcast, good place in order to pray. That is completely unbiblical. You can simply come and you can simply speak your heart to him. See, the point of all those passages that I read is that you are now a walking temple. You are the tabernacle. You're the church building. You carry that with you. And this is a perspective shift as you go on throughout your day and your weeks and your months that you can pray wherever you are at. You can be in any circumstance and pray because you carry the comforter, the one who gives you peace and the one that makes you holy. And what was once associated with the place is now residing in you if you've received them. To sort of illustrate this, um, Tim mentioned it uh, last week. Uh, he had announced that uh, Rosemary had passed away and that anybody who was able and willing, we were going to go over and help the family clean out the apartment. So some of us went over and we're packing up boxes and we're moving furniture. And me being me, I noticed that, well, the floor is kind of dirty. So I grab a vacuum and I'm in the bedroom and it's just me. Everything's been moved out and I'm vacuuming the floor. Vacuuming's my jam. It was my chore as a kid. I still love it. And I'm vacuuming. It takes 10 or 15 minutes. And as I'm vacuuming, I find myself offering these little prayers. God, would you comfort Rosemary's family in this time? God, would you draw them to yourself? 
God, would you be with the next inhabitant of this apartment? Simple sentences, 10 minutes, but it was one of the most holy times because I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Where we pray has less to do with a location and more to do with a heart condition that wants to seek him. Let me say it another way. Where our heart motivation is, is more important than a location or situation that we find ourselves in. Where our heart motivation is, is more important than a location or situation that we find ourselves in. So this leads me to my next comparison, which is where we pray is not based on outward appearances, or religiosity, rather where we pray is an extension of our relationship with Jesus. So do we treat prayer as a public performance for approval or check in the box of our own religiosity? Or do we see it as a sign of a relationship? And this of course flows into a little bit of the why, right? The heart condition that we've been talking about. What's the point and purpose of prayer in your life? And Jesus addresses this in Matthew 6. He preempts, he's going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, this model of prayer that Mike walked through and did a fabulous job of a couple of weeks ago. But he preambles this, Jesus preambles this. He's talking to his disciples and he says this in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners and rainbow afros with a microphone. No, um, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, I think you can look at this, and you can take it a little bit literally. And to be fair, I've known quite a few people in my life that have, that look at this and go, well, I can't pray in public. I can only pray in private. And I would agree to a certain extent if you have a pride issue or the only reason you are praying is because you want attention. See, Jesus' point here has nothing to do with a formulaic action of you can only do this or you can only do that. Rather, he's saying everything has to do with your heart. Why do you pray? So to understand where, the everywhere, at all times, in all situations, we have to remind ourselves of the why. See, there's a benefit of praying in a quiet place. Jesus models this all over the New Testament. He goes off by himself. He prays in the quiet. He goes up to the mountains away from the crowds and seeks the Lord to recharge his heart. And for me, I'm easily distracted. And again, Mike did an excellent job when he explained how of describing what it's like when you're easily distractible, how difficult it can be to get into a posture of prayer. Again, highly recommend that you watch his sermon. It's really hard for me to get into a prayer mode But I think finding or making a quiet spot is a great start. But we also see Jesus demonstrating the correct way to pray in public with an explanation into our heart condition. He explains why praying in public is also important. So in John 11, we see Jesus is going to the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus was a very dear friend of his who had died, and Jesus is distraught and upset. It was his dear friend. But he goes and he's going to raise him from the dead. He's going to perform this amazing miracle. And this is what he does right before that miracle happens in John 11, starting in 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. There's a benefit to praying out loud in front of people and for people. Who do we pray for? That's Ruth Sermon C, last week's video. So where do we pray? Well, we can pray in secret when we need a heart-to-heart, when we need to recharge. We can pray in public when the people around us need encouragement or need to be pointed back towards Jesus. But hear me, neither one is better than the other. And don't expect somebody else to pray the same way that you do. See, my point, the thing that I would like to contend for is that both private and public prayer are needed in our Christian walk for the health of our hearts and for intimacy with God. With God. It grows our affections towards him. So you can pray in secret or you can pray out in the open, but what's your motivation? Here's the real kicker. If you want application, do you only engage in quiet prayer and never in public? Or do you only engage in public prayer and never in private? So you want an application? Here's one. I'd encourage you this week, try the one that scares you the most. I called some of us out. I'm not a good prayer in quiet. I'm great if you hit me up and you need some prayer or somebody needs a person to pray for the group. I'm great in public prayer. But ask me to set aside just three minutes to pray quietly. Good luck. So my action item this week has been and will be, where can I set aside time to pray? or Where can I add it to my iPhone calendar? Because that's the only reason I do anything these days. Maybe you struggle with praying out loud. I'd encourage you to find a trusted friend or a group of friends. Use the voice memo app. You can re-record, send a video, and pray with them. Pray out loud, text somebody, type out your prayer to encourage them, connect with those around you wherever you are at. Again, see who do we pray for. But what happens when I don't feel like praying? What happens when it's difficult to pray? Well, I'm glad you asked that, hypothetical you. That leads me to my last comparison, which is feeling versus discipline. And when I was thinking about this, how do I illustrate feelings versus the discipline, the muscle exercise of prayer? I was sitting at Tim's kitchen table and I thought of this and I said, okay, the times that I feel like praying the most are two extremes, dire straits and filled with joy. Dire straits. Complete and utter dependence. So much is going on, so much tragedy. I have no other option but to get on my knees because that is the only recourse that I have and I'm connected and it's intimate and it's amazing, even if it's hard. If I'm honest, I've been here quite a few times. I've had relationships end. I've had difficulties. And all I could do was sob and cry out to the Lord. That's extreme number one. Extreme number two is so filled with joy, so filled with praise that you can't help but point back to him and praise him and point to him and go, oh my God, you keep providing, you are holy, you are amazing. If you grew up in church, this is often called the mountaintop experience. And I've had quite a few of those. I've had points in my life that God has provided a lot of things. He's provided a house and a job and a community within a week and it was praise Those are the extremes. But if we're honest, that's about 10% of our life. The rest of us, most of us, live in the 90% in the middle that I like to call meh. It's the meh of life. It's where we live. 
Nothing super crazy tragic is happening usually, and nothing crazy joyful is happening. We're simply going about our business and living our lives. But I don't always feel like praying when I'm in that 90%. Okay, audience participation. Uh, how many of you guys floss and or brush your teeth at least once a day? And if you don't, you probably have garlic breath, and I'm so sorry. So we, we, we floss, we brush, hopefully. Do you always feel like it? No, I've had so many late nights recently where I'm like falling asleep in front of the TV and I'm like, oh, I have to go and brush my teeth, I floss my teeth, and all I want to do is sleep. But you do it anyways because you know it's good for your teeth health. Well, prayer is kind of like that. It's good for you, you should do it. See, if you wait around to feel like praying, you never will. I'm going to say that again. If you wait around to feel like praying, you never will. It's a discipline. It's a muscle exercise. You do it because it is good for your heart and the intimacy that it provides. As I was studying, I ran across this quote by an author and theologian by the name of Kristen D. Johnson. It was an article that she was writing about her own journey with prayer over the last 20 years. And she ends this article, as she's been talking about, she used to be incredibly intimate. It was like her, her run-to thing. It was encouraging for her. It was recharging for her. Prayer was her thing. And then one day it wasn't. The feelings of joy and closeness fled. So she ends the article with this, as she's been talking about her journey with prayer. And it's kind of a longer quote, so I highly recommend that you stick with me. She says this, when we pray in Jesus' name, we acknowledge that our prayers depend on Jesus Christ, which gives us freedom. When we're not tangibly aware of God's presence in prayer, it's okay. We're always connected by the Spirit to Jesus' ongoing ministry of prayer, whether we feel it or not. When prayer doesn't deliver the sense of intimacy we are expecting, we can find joy in knowing that our union with Christ is secure when suffering and grief make it difficult to pray, we can rest in the reality that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ will continue to intercede on our behalf. When we go through seasons of dryness, we can persevere in faith, remembering that our experience of prayer is not foundational. Jesus Christ himself is the foundation, the word of God who always lives to intercede for us. More than 20 years have passed since my prayer life, since Kristen's prayer life was appended. In those years, God has rebuilt it so that it stands on the firm foundation of Christ himself rather than on my expectations or experiences. I loved this quote because it called me out on the carpet. Because oftentimes I come in my prayer life with expectations and wanting to have an experience with him. And it almost always disappoints because I'm not there for him. But see, Kristen says it's okay, and she says it's okay because she's pulling from Romans 8. I'm going to read it in ESV, Romans 8, starting in 26, an explanation of what happens when our hearts are having a struggle to pray. Paul writes this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
So when we don't know what to pray, I still encourage that we come when we have a hard time with our heart. Do you run to him? Uh, worship team, you can come on up. Um, I'm going to be really real up here, like I haven't been real this entire sermon, but I'm going to be real up here. Um, I haven't felt like praying in about a year and a half. I've been beaten up emotionally and spiritually, and I don't always have warm fuzzies towards God or his people. But I mentioned the Nike campaign of just do it, right? Just do it, engage with it, exercise that muscle. Maybe not all the time and not perfectly, but imagine if that campaign had said, just do whatever until you feel like it. Kind of a lame campaign. The amount of time that somebody has called me recently or texted me since the series started asking for prayer is actually quite a lot. The amount of times that I've fought the inclination to ignore the text or the call that is asking for prayer and just let it sit there unread is a lot. The amount of times that I've dropped everything to pray with somebody, the amount of times that I have purposed to set aside a few minutes, while difficult, has been something that I'm trying to actively engage in more despite how I feel. And you know kind of the crazy thing that as I engage with that and as I fight that inclination and that resistance in my own heart, I want to pray more. Crazy how God kind of does that. So I'm gonna close with this. Where do we pray? Well, we pray anywhere and everywhere at all times and all situations, regardless of our context. Do you do it? Not perfectly, but do you engage with it? Do you engage with prayer? I'm going to close with the verses that I opened with in Philippians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. And I encourage you to sit and meditate on this as I walk through it and I close. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be afraid of the situations in your life. Do not be afraid to come to the Lord in prayer. But in every situation, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are on the spectrum of the 10%, the 90%, Come to him in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is hard, but guess what? There's always something to be thankful for because of God's character, because of who he is. Present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can't comprehend it. It's so amazing. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Joy is hard. But again, God's character always points to the fact that we have an everlasting joy in him. Pray continually. May prayer be always on your lips. Give thanks in all circumstances. May thanksgiving be written on your heart. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that you have gifted us with prayer. I thank you that we have access to you because of your sacrifice and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for each and every person that is here in this room, that is watching online, that is listening. And God, I pray that you would meet them. God, I pray that we would engage with you, that you would undo the things that we misunderstand about where we pray how we pray, why we pray. 
and that we place our hope and our trust in you, knowing that you can work that all out for your glory. God, I pray in this time that people would come to you, that they would lay their burdens down at your feet, and that you'd be giving them peace as they come. And I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.